Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And uh, before we begin, let me remind you of a few things. In wealthformula.com, you can get a copy of my best selling book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which you can also simply get by texting me at 44222 and typing Wealth Formula one word. And for those of you who can't get enough of Wealth Formula and can't get enough of me, frankly, you can also sign up to be part of the Wealth Formula Network and also be part of a community. Um, Get a course, private uh, Facebook group, and also um, some additional content. Uh, Lots of fun, bi-weekly phone calls, etc., you want to check that out go to wealthformularoadmap.com and uh, also finally for those of you who are accredited investors people who have make at least two hundred thousand dollars per year um, or three hundred thousand dollars if filing jointly or you have a million dollars outside of your personal residence in net worth you are an accredited investor you don't have to apply for anything you don't have to you know get a voter registration card or anything like that you are accredited. And if that's the case, go to wealthformula.com and join the party at Investor Club. It's where the magic happens. Uh, that's where the deal flow happens for people who are accredited in nature. So uh, with all that said, let me begin with this week's show topic. Remember ARPANET? <laughs> you probably don't, right? You're like, No, I don't remember ARPANET. Well, the truth of the matter is I don't remember ARPANET either. ARPANET was back in the 1980s. It was a precursor to the Internet that essentially allowed researchers to access each other's data. It was a government program. Uh, I don't think that Al Gore invented it, but apparently he said he did at one point. But certainly the government was involved. And at the time, it was revolutionary technology uh, and as you know, ARPANET, as it was called back in the days, led to the creation of something called the Internet. And the Internet fundamentally changed the world. And with the rise of the Internet and all the companies built on top of it, well, guess what? A lot of people made a lot of money quickly. And during the burst of the dot-com bubble, a lot of people also lost a lot of money. And believe me, I get it, and I'm not saying it's not a big deal. People lost money. My dad lost a bunch of money. 
I mean, he got really greedy in the dot-com era, sold a bunch of buildings and bought a bunch of tech stocks, and man, he lost a lot of money really, really quickly. But my dad's also the worst investor in the world outside of um, real estate. In fact, I have an index called my the my dad index, and generally speaking, if he wants to sell, you should buy, and if he wants to buy, you should sell. I used this on Bitcoin, for example, which he forced me to buy him some, and now I have to talk him out of selling uh, every time um, he wants to sell. And I tried to talk him out of buying when he bought, but he wanted to anyway. So anyway, um, now people, going back to the dot-com bubble, right? People always point to that, including myself, and show it as the classic fall from grace of a new asset class, you know, just like tulip mania in the early 17th century Europe, right? I mean, people were selling tulips for an awful lot of money. And, uh, well, you know, those tulips, that didn't work out. It never really recovered. But, on the other hand, two of the of the first trillion-dollar market cap companies in the history of the world, Amazon and Apple, arose from the ashes of that dot-com bubble that, Everybody looks at it as this massive example of failure and bubbledom. Now, uh, the reality is that if you were lucky enough to ride the wave of those companies, which I was not, I mean, in fact, in those days, I didn't have any money to invest anyway. So, I mean, it was, I don't feel bad about it. I didn't miss anything. I didn't have any money to invest. But if you were one of those lucky enough to ride on the wave of those companies and watch it go all the way up to where it is today, you'd probably be pretty wealthy. And a lot of people did exactly that. But in order to do that, it sure sounds easy in hindsight, of course. It's easier said than done, right? You had to recognize, you know, you had to recognize that Apple was going to be Apple and that Amazon was going to be Apple and that Pets.com was actually going to be dead and worthless and worth nothing, right? You had to recognize that. Why do I bring this up today? Well, I, I think distributed ledger technology, blockchain, this stuff, you know, this cryptocurrency world, uh, is that a similar phase in its development to what was ARPANET in the 1980s? And I'm pretty darn sure that when the dust settles on this one, the winners will come out at least as wealthy. And I'm talking about the investors as the early internet investors. The biggest problem blockchain projects have right now is that they are simply just not user friendly right and they can't scale and all that too but the biggest thing right now is that it's so hard to use this stuff believe me as someone who is relatively competent around computers it's still a challenge with you know you got multiple storage wallets you know you got to custody your own assets there's software there's hardware drives it ain't easy. It is not for everyone, okay? And wide-scale technologic adoption of distributed ledger technology, I will say, I believe, is as bullish as I am, cannot happen until it's actually easy to use for everyone. And when that happens, all the big money will have already been in as early adopters and investors and there will be much money to make anymore. So if you are not technology savvy, but want exposure to this, what I believe to be Internet 
How do you do it? How do you do it? After all, like I said before, it's not that technically easy. You know, all this custody and buying and selling and, you know, hashes and addresses and all this funky stuff. Um, and even technologically savvy people really don't know, uh, even if you can master uh, those simple things about storage and all that, and even technologically savvy people don't have a clue at the end of the day which of these projects will turn into Apple, which one will turn into Amazon of the future. Well, so let's try to take a lesson from history. And let's say it's the early 90s, and, um, and you can either try to pick a stock from the myriad of dot-com companies that were out there at that point, including Amazon, there was Apple, Pets.com, we mentioned that one too, and that one didn't go so well. You try to pick these individually and predict the next 10, 20 years, or invest in an index tracking the biggest tech companies by market capitalization for the next 10, 20 years. If you did that back in the 90s, guess what? You would have ended up with an amazing portfolio. Yeah, I mean, if you'd picked Amazon or Apple's individual stocks, you probably would have done even better. But if you could just keep, you know, basically an index of those top companies as they were coming out of the gate and growing quickly, you would probably have done extremely well. So, um, with blockchain and with you know other distributed ledger technologies, let's fast forward you know to this point and look at this as a similar tech inflection point, you know, and in terms of the investing side too. Do you know which projects to pick? Um, do you even know how to buy this stuff? Well, what if we could do what I just said? You know, just use your regular old U.S. dollars to invest in the top ten crypto projects by market capitalization. And then if you believe that this is this whole thing is going somewhere, just ride that index without any technical skill required. That is something that is probably worth considering. Because if maybe you don't believe me, but if you do believe me, and if I'm right, this will be the, one of the best, uh, the most profitable things that, that you've done. So even having some exposure, 1% of your portfolio might make sense. You know, uh, uh, Anthony uh, Pompliano, who's a podcaster I listen to, uh, he says, you know, he's trying to convince these companies to, quote unquote, get off zero. In other words, don't have zero exposure because that's probably right now a bigger danger to your portfolio than having, you know, 1% or 2% or whatever. Anyway, the point of all of this is that if you could find an index of the best performing or, you know, highest market cap products, uh, projects in the space, it might make sense to just buy it, right? And buy 80% of the whole cryptocurrency market in general. You know, somewhat sort of like the S&P 500 or something like that, right? But um, there is an opportunity to do this now. And it's through a, 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 a company that I've come across and have, considered investing in myself. It's called Bitwise Investments. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk to the CEO and founder, co-founder of the company. Um, and so if you've wanted to invest in digital assets, 
but found it too daunting to move forward, I promise you, you will not want to miss this episode because this could be one of those things that you just happen to throw in a few bucks and, man, it could it could turn out to be something a whole lot better. So listen to this uh, episode uh, coming up right after these messages. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Hunter Horsley. Now, Hunter is the co-founder and CEO of Bitwise Asset Management Bitwise uh, was founded in 2017 and pioneered the first cryptocurrency index fund and has recently thrown its hat also into the ETF race, which we'll talk about a little bit uh, with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, Hunter, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank thank you so much for uh, having me on the show. So I wanted to start out a little bit just uh, talking a little bit about you. Uh, You know, you're you're a a business school guy, so University of Pennsylvania. Uh, well, at least you went to Wharton, so I'm imagining there's some business stuff there. Um, <laughs> what's your background uh, in general? I mean, after you finished your economics degree at Wharton, how did you, you know, find yourself weaving into the cryptocurrency space? Thanks. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 there, there were some steps in between. I uh, after uh, after school, I, I went uh, to be a product manager at, at Facebook and Instagram. Uh, first joined Instagram and got to be part of the team that helped monetize um, Instagram, get it to um, over a billion dollars in, in run rate. And, and my role there as a, as a product manager was um, to work with teams of engineers, data scientists, researchers, policy people, uh, partner uh, managers, product marketing people, you know, every, everything you can imagine uh, to build new software products in, in the case of uh, my time at Instagram for, for our advertising clients. Uh, after that, I went over to the Facebook side and uh, there I did a number of things. Uh, one of them was um, for a while I was in charge of the branded content ecosystem, which is a multi-billion dollar ecosystem uh, on Facebook and approach to monetizing digital media. And then uh, got to help figure out how we would monetize uh, videos which ended up being putting commercials into videos uh, there again as a product manager. I left 
uh, to start Bitwise. And Bitwise is, is, um, is the firm that uh, uh, I'm now the CEO at. Uh, we do cryptocurrency index funds, as you know. And uh, the transition, so, you know, the, the way I got from, from there to, to, uh, to Bitwise uh, was, was really organic. Um, in 2017 in San Francisco, if you're software people, pretty quickly someone says, uh, do you remember, do you remember that, that uh, cryptocurrency thing? Do you remember, um, do you remember blockchains? And, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not an OG, uh, crypto person. I, I, I you know, I, I wasn't involved in 2009 or 2010. I, I had bought some Bitcoin, uh, back, uh, many years ago, but didn't really pay attention to it. Didn't think much of it. Um, and it wasn't until 2017 when it really became its own asset class, uh, that I started paying attention, and, and, and I should say my, my co-founder, who uh, did software security in the military uh, and, and had worked at Google, um, him and I both together sort of uh, started taking a look at the space. Interesting. So, so you uh, hopefully you you, you uh, thought enough for your Bitcoin initially not to throw it out <laughs> like, like I several yeah. million. <laughs> I, I hung on to it. Good, yeah, good. Yeah, there's a lot of computers sitting in, uh, you know, yeah, some dumpsters out there right now with millions of dollars of Bitcoin on them. Um, yeah, I've heard those stories. You know, so you know, being in the being in the space uh, for you know even a couple of years. I mean, it's like this this the space just travels at at light year pace. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, right? Um, and when you look at what happened. Uh, in 2017, in particular, I mean that's like crazy in and of itself. I mean, yeah, and absolutely, and 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 so obviously we've had a significant correction last year, which I'm curious, kind of, you know, when you guys entered and how that ended up playing yeah. out. Um, talk, but talk about that a little bit. How did how did that affect the you know your fund and your outlook on 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 cryptocurrencies yeah. in general? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually I, I wrote an article for CoinDesk, which is a uh, as you probably know the one of the most prominent trade yep. publications called uh, uh, 2017, the year crypto became uh, a new asset class. And so I, I think the narrative that is common amongst our clients, and we talk a little about what we do, but we work with sophisticated investors, uh, family offices, multifamily offices, wealthy individuals, and then institutional investors, so asset allocation committees, and CIOs. Um, I think the trend that we saw getting started in 2017 was um, for most people, they hadn't heard of crypto before 2017. It was this tiny little asset class at, at you know at, at twelve billion dollars. Uh, it's it's barely an asset class, and that's that's what it was. Something something near there at the, at the beginning of January 2017, um, and then throughout 2017, uh, it picked up steam, and we could talk about why that might, might be. Um, but people started to notice, and that really came to a point around September. Uh, August, September, October, where everyone was was hearing about it, be it in the news, some some headline about a, a teenager becoming a millionaire, or a relative telling them about it, or a coworker telling them about it. And I think in that environment, um, the, uh, what happened was a lot of the more nimble investors, so individuals, um, uh, wealthy individuals who had the ability to to take risk uh, and to make decisions quickly, a lot of them decided to put some money into crypto at that moment. The professional investors, the institutional allocators, investment committees, advisors, uh, at that point in time, they were asked to look at it because their clients were looking at it or their board told them to look at it. And I think a lot of them were frustrated with it. Their first, their first reaction to it was, oh my gosh, this looks like tulip mania, asset prices going like this, that, you know, that's not something that should be happening. And we don't understand this thing. It's not backed by any physical 
uh, asset and, and it doesn't have cash flows. And so I think it, towards the end of 2017, what we had was uh, a lot of individuals uh, deciding to participate uh, in the market and a lot of the professional investors being frustrated. And I think at some point Warren Buffett said something like Bitcoin is, is rat poison squared and just having sort of a very negative knee jerk reaction. Now that's, that's sort of uh, in some ways counterintuitively that's, that's changed in 2018. So in 2018, it's almost flipped. So uh, the market peaked towards the end of, of 2017, December. And then uh, in 2018, we've been in a bear market. The markets are down uh, maybe 60% since the beginning of the year, at least our large cap index. So those are the, you know, I, I think small, small cap, our small cap and mid cap index is down a little bit more than that. Um, and uh, during that, that, that drawdown, I think the individual investors, uh, some of those who had, who had allocated in, in the fall of 2017, uh, have become a little, bit, uh, a little bit more hesitant. And uh, in many cases, in some cases, feel burned. Um, and conversely, the, the professional investors and the institutional allocators have become way more interested, um, particularly over the last quarter. And yeah. I think what happened there is, you know, the, the, those individuals, those professionals were, were forced to start paying attention uh, in Q3, Q4 of 2017, but things are moving so quickly, they didn't have time to understand it. Prices were behaving in a way that prices generally shouldn't. And then in 2018, it, it you know, turned a corner and started to drop down and uh, it didn't go to zero. And over the, the last three quarters, uh, those, those, those professionals have had the opportunity to read about the space, research the space, meet with managers like us, have us in to, to speak to their asset allocation committees, um, develop their view on whether or not one day public blockchains and crypto assets will fit into their portfolios. Um, and for many of them, the result of that view is that it, it would in some allocation size. Uh, and then if you look at the market in 2018, in Q3 2018, um, I think to many of them, it feels like a really attractive cost basis. Right. Uh, one CIO recently said to us, um, the, 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 the most important thing for me to be doing in, in 2009 was just buying anything. Uh, and that remark was about the fact that in 2009, because we were going through the, the recession, yep. uh, asset prices were cheap. And, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't as important to call the bottom specifically as it was uh, to be buying while things were cheap. And so I think that's the, that's the attitude that many of the institutional investors have had recently is, as, as they've been moving the market. We've seen Yale, Stanford, Harvard make announcements yeah. about allocation. So, so yeah. let's talk a little bit about that because I'm curious. You know, we've, we, I've been talking about this um, you know, on the Consensus Network uh, weekly crypto news. I mean, in the last couple of weeks alone, yeah. Um, I mean, listen, I think Bach now has an actual day, mid-December sometime, where they're releasing their first Bitcoin product. And Bach is a, uh, owned by the same owners as the New York Stock Exchange, the Intercontinental Exchange. You have Eris X. Um, I mean, Eris X, you had Fidelity announcements. As you mentioned, you had Yale's uh, endowment now involved with cryptocurrency. So now what strikes me is interesting about this and and and. I, it, it sort of is is curious, and I'm I'm curious about your thoughts. Is usually this kind of news? Um, I mean, you'd ex it, this is very bullish news, but yeah. and, and you to me at least, I would expect a bump, right? I mean, um, this is beyond uh, rumors, although people mostly usually buy the rumor, right? But this is yeah. reality, and to me, yeah. this is a signal of. Likely hundreds of billions of dollars emptying into the space. What? Why is the market as flat right now as it is? That's what I can't yeah. get my head around, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that 
um, I think that there's, there's, there's three things that, that come to mind. Um, uh, the, the first is uh, these endowments have, have made allocations. Um, uh, other large families have made allocations, but it's still, it's still very small. This is the, the tip of the iceberg in, ter in terms of uh, institutional money being managed coming into the space. So those flows themselves are not big enough to move the prices. And so uh, I, I think the, the first thing I would say is to, you know, why we're not seeing a huge, uh, you know, turn in the market is uh, the flows coming from institutional allocators themselves can't, 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 uh, can't cause the buying pressure to move asset prices. The second is um, what you might expect is the existing market participants, uh, the, 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 the managers of crypto funds, uh, individual investors, um, to, uh, to buy positions on the news. Uh, uh, upon hearing endorsement from some of the most well-respected endowment managers, um, that they would, they, they would see right. the, the ratification of the space and, 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 and buy that. But I think they're also, um, uh, I think many of, many of the long-term participants in the market have, have sort of expected that that would happen. Uh, they felt that it was inevitable. Um, for many of them, they, they, you know, they're, they're, they're fully allocated. Um, and so uh, I think for the existing market participants who recognize the significance of the news, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's not something that, uh, that is really, I, I think, a huge surprise. I think the fact that it's happening now is a surprise, but I think that they always expected it would happen. Um, and then again, I think they're, they're allocated uh, uh, more or less. Um, and so, so you would, you would need, so, you know, I, I think that the third thing uh, on my mind is you would, you would need significant new flows and um, to move asset prices. If you, you know, if you think about real estate as a proxy, if you, if you have this, you know, roughly same set of supply of residential units, you need, you know, a huge new set of buyers to come in to meaningfully change the trajectory of price movement. And, uh, and so I think that that can be institutional allocators and we're just at the beginning of that. Um, I think the other is, is, uh, uh, is for the general investing public. Um, and not just the existing market participants who, who interpreted this news, but people who are not yet in the market, uh, who haven't heard of BACT, uh, and who didn't read Coindesk's article about uh, Yale, right? And, and right. I think for, for that audience, there, there are some pieces of, of, uh, of infrastructure that, that need to be in place um, uh, for them to, 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 consider, uh, so, to consider allocations to crypto. Is this... There today. Do you think that I mean, if I'm if I'm if I'm understanding you right, you know, um, you've got sure you've got participation and uh, from family offices and maybe from from smaller funds that are not re required to necessarily have custodians. Um, is the custodianship the big potentially the big limiting factor? And obviously, we've got you know backed and some of these others who are coming yeah. in that might be able to provide that. But is that do you think that's part of the limiting factor? Or? I think I think it's part of it. I don't think it's the whole story, and I think sometimes it's it, for the sake of simplicity, it's it's you know many people in the space point to it as one of the big sort of binary factors. But so uh, maybe I'll, I'll talk about custody for a second, and then I'll, I'll talk about what I think sure. some of the, the other things are. Um, the state of custody today: there are a number of custodians in the market, and it's it's rapidly getting better. So the beginning of, of 2018, maybe there were two serious custodians. Now there's there's maybe six. Not all of them are completely public, and and then you know Fidelity just announced. Uh, that at the beginning of 2019, they'll be offering custody. It's something they've been working on for a very long time. And, and, and uh, there've been rumors that others like Goldman are working on solutions there. So right. I think that's going to rapidly get better. And um, uh, the solutions that exist today are, are extremely robust. Um, the firms are being run by very competent individuals. Some of them manage tens of billions of dollars or 
you know, very, very large sums. And uh, while the, the regulatory status, the issue with being a qualified custodian, which is part of the Investment Advisors Act of 1940, uh, you could argue that there is some, uh, some additional clarity that's needed there. Uh, there's a strong dialogue with regulators happening between these 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 players, and um, uh, they're doing the set of things that uh, need to be taking place to move uh, into compliance. And there are already firms that have trust charters or broker dealers, uh, which is what it would take to be considered a qualified custodian, which is what people say the space needs. So um, uh, I think that that custody is is in a good place and getting to a great place. Uh, it, I, I don't view the custody situation as um, there are no good custodians, there are no qualified custodians, and as soon as we have one, things will switch on. We do have qualified custodians today, at least in the way that uh, that that uh, that piece of regulation is is written, and and uh, and they're great service providers. They're getting better, and more coming into the space. My perspective, the the big sort of category that's holding uh, holding back um, their other investors uh, is um two 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 things one uh education get, getting up to speed on how to think about uh how to think about public blockchains and crypto assets how to think about what they can do for a portfolio which which sleeve does it go in does it come out of their equities does it come out of their bonds does it come out of real estate does it come out of alternatives um and to build consensus internally i think that's one piece so we you know we we, we did a, a webinar with about 500 financial advisors 80% said that uh, clients had asked them about crypto, um, but one of the top barriers uh, to investing was education. So I think that one, you know, one element of, of what's needed for the mainstream of the you know, professional investors and investing public to participate in crypto, one piece of what's needed is they need to understand what crypto is in the, in the same way that um, for most people, uh, you, you're, you're probably familiar with, with CRISPR, the genetic editing yep. uh, methodology or technology, right? So, so, you know, so, so you could tell people CRISPR is this breakthrough technology. It's going to enable these improvements in, in you know, in, in how we uh, how we do procedures. Um, here are some of the companies that are doing it. They, they, they understand that there's something important happening there, but they don't really understand how it's going to change their their world. You know what what it represents as an opportunity for them, and I, I think that's the relationship most people have with crypto now. So I think education, and then last thing I would say, and, and, and then I'll you know I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up. But uh, uh, there's also workflow infrastructure. So our index fund is a private vehicle. It's, it's available through Schwab, but most investors work uh, with a platform like, like Schwab or Pershing or Fidelity or um, uh, Merrill Lynch Edge, and they can't really access crypto through those platforms today. Many advisors want to work with a 40-act fund. So that's an ETF or a mutual fund. They don't want to work with a private fund structure or they don't want to buy assets directly. Uh, they need it to integrate into their reporting flows, the way that they pay taxes, the way that they manage portfolios. Um, and I think a lot of that... Uh, infrastructure and wiring that's uh, that's behind the scenes um, is is missing and making the barrier to to investing uh, uh, too high for for the general mainstream. And it's also what creates the opportunity for people who are investing now um, is that that infrastructure is getting built, um, but isn't in place just yet for everyone to be able to participate. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because I think a lot of those things in you know that you talked about, I think 2019 is a big year for a lot of that infrastructure, a lot of those pipes uh, yeah. to be laid. So you know, um, so it's I, happening now, and we we work yeah. we, we actively spend a lot of time working on on that as well. So I, I assume I assume then that your your take, and I'm, I'm not obviously asking you to predict the future, but 
um, is that, you know, this is going to be as you've got, you know, these more sophisticated institutional investors, sort of more of a, you know, gradually, you know, rising market instead of, you know, going up to twenty five thousand dollars in a matter of months this time around, just sort of uh, people dipping their foot in. Maybe they've got, you know, half a percent um, they allocate into this space and, you know, they kind of just see how things are going. They, you know, and there's also part of it is, you know, people not wanting to be the first one to do it. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, but then there's also a, 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 you know, and again, I don't pretend to understand how these pe- people think, but I would think that there's also this element that, all right, well, if fidelity is involved, so if we lose money because we invested, you know, through fidelity, that's okay. But if, you know, if I invested through somebody else and lost money, I'd probably lose my job, that kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I think some things to look for are, um, uh, you know, when access to crypto becomes available through the existing brokerages. So instead of having to download a new app that I haven't heard of, and don't really you know feel comfortable right. with uh if it becomes possible for people to to easily access crypto through charles schwab that'll be a big day and that, that could happen through an etf could happen through a mutual fund could happen through uh them offering direct purchasing but that 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 would be a, a meaningful moment for the space um i think another meaningful moment would be uh, another bull run historically you know bitcoin's been around for almost 10 years and historically it has moved in in these in these big swings um, uh, followed by drawdowns, uh, and then and then and then periods back up, and so that's the type of uh, I, I think price movement that gets uh, the the public's attention. In the U.S., I think it's estimated that eight percent of Americans own some crypto. Uh, so it's definitely not the case that most investors have, have participated yet. And so I think that's the second thing that would um, would would really impact uh, uh, um, people participating. Yeah. Um, and then the, you know, the, yeah, I, I think the third is is seeing peers uh, uh, allocating to the space, and and that's just happened now, and it has absolutely had an impact. The fact that that CIOs we meet with um, see that that Yale and, yeah. and David's firm are, are invested uh, has changed the way they think about things. Now that now many of them. Uh, you know, have the thought process, which is what does David see that I don't see? Uh, or what do I know that David doesn't know that causes me to think that this doesn't make sense? Yeah. And and I think some people are, you know, I'm guessing that some of these fund managers are looking at this saying, you know, what's the cost if I don't invest in this and it takes off and I don't have, you know, and I'm, I'm still at zero, you know? Yeah. And if I can put in, you know, if I can just, you know, dip my foot into this and if we have that same kind of growth i mean that that could have real impact on the fund returns in general um absolutely absolutely absolutely. we we, we've done an analysis on we we do a custom analysis for firms and 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 we've looked at what is a one five ten percent allocation to to bitcoin over the last four years we we looked at bitcoin because it is a longer history even though it's it's still a short history but over the last four years which includes starts with a drawdown ends with a drawdown um, in a 60-40 portfolio, so 60% equities, 40% bonds, um, if you rebalance data, 1% allocation added, uh, I think, over four percentage points of return. That's unbelievable. Uh, right. Huge amount of return. Yeah. It, it decreased max drawdown, which is a risk metric. It improved the sharp ratio, which is a risk-adjusted return uh, measure. Um, and, and again, you're, you're the, the worst-case scenario, which... which um, uh, you know, many, many people don't think is, is very likely, but the worst-case scenario that it went to zero, you only lost 1%. Right, right. Um, and so, so there are different versions of that. You could do that with 25 basis points. You yeah. could do that with 10 basis points. Uh, I think if, if for, for managers 
and individuals who resist the idea of owning any amount of crypto, you have to recognize that, that might be uh, an emotional or philosophical or um, in, in some ways irrational view. Um, now, certainly if you develop a thesis about how things will play out um, and in that thesis, you conclude that uh, it doesn't make sense as an investment or your, your objectives for your portfolio don't include yeah. something high risk, high reward like this, then, then, then it doesn't make sense to allocate. But if, it, if, it's, if it's simply that you don't like the idea of investing in the category, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know that that <laughs> is as common or popular of, a, yeah. of a, an explanation as, as it was in 2017. Or even even like three months ago, right? Um, yeah. So uh, let me ask you a question. Before we get into Bitwise more, I want to ask you a question, which is sort of been, I've been thinking about a little bit lately, is that, you know, um, I remember hearing, and I've heard people say on many occasions that they considered you know, let's just talk about Bitcoin in particular, an uncorrelated asset, okay, uncorrelated yep. to other markets. But, um, you know, we did see, we, we, I don't, to me, I'm looking at Bitcoin right now, I'm thinking that the majority of investors, and I'm not talking about those in Venezuela or other places where their fiat currency is not uh, stable, but for most people, it's still kind of, you know, a, 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 probably a speculative investment. So if yeah. it's a speculative investment, would it be uncorrelated or would it be correlated? Because I would think it'd be the first thing that you would sell off. And so at least until there's an established baseline, yeah. then maybe you can think about it as digital gold. But what's what's your take on that? That is a, that is a great question. I think people are definitely of two minds. One mind is that it's a liquid risk on asset. Uh, and so, you know, like, like, a, like, a, like a large cap uh, internet stock exposure or... Uh, a, a, a hedge fund exposure, um, it'll be the first thing to take off if you move into a, a recessionary environment uh, to, to move into to more conservative investments. Uh, so that, that's one mindset. And I think that there's, there's, there's real merit to that. The other mindset, which you referenced, is that it's a hedge asset. Uh, historically, it's had low correlations to equities, fixed income, gold, the US dollar, the VIX. Um, and that because it has different drivers of, of price instead of corporate earnings growth or interest rates, drivers are things like millennial wealth accumulation, uh, regulatory developments, uh, network, of, network effects or network adoption. Um, because those are separate things, they, they, they can intersect with each other, uh, but they're separate that the, the correlations will remain low. So I, I think over time, uh, I think over time, because those drivers are different, my my perspective is that uh, correlations will be divergent, and today they're you know they're they're, they're close to zero. Um, uh, but it's a very I, I should also say this is a very limited uh, data set, right? You know, Bitcoin has been around for less than ten years, um, and uh, often oftentimes when we look at you know data around um, uh, financial products, we, we try to look for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's two different mindsets exist and. Uh, I think they both have merit. Um, I think that we, we we will have to see. Crypto has largely only existed in a bull market in U.S. equities, um, and uh, uh, we we don't yet know what it what it'll look like through a recessionary climate. Uh, so far this year, there have been a few periods where equities markets drew down, uh, even just recently, um, and uh, I believe that that the crypto continued to uh, behave in an unrelated way. Um, so. Um, I think there's there's merit yeah. to, to you know to both sides. Over the longer run, you know our expectation, our research team's expectation would be that there are different things driving the value here. Um, 
and uh, sort of in the same way uh, that you might expect um, gold or, or a commodity to, to behave uh, differently uh, with some intersection uh, around the larger economy uh, that crypto will move towards uh, behaving a little bit like a commodity. The other thing that I, I think is an interesting uh, thing to think about, because I, you know, we, we still are in such infancy in the space that we kind of lump everything together as cryptocurrency, right? But yeah. but the the reality is that if you look around what what you what you really see or what I'm seeing, at least when I hear people talk, is the that Bitcoin, uh, for the most part, seems to have, um, you know, gotten enough uh, legitimization by, you know, some some uh, some of the bigger players as a, you know, digital gold type of play right it's it, it, yeah. like a use case that's actually people are really coming around to maybe believing that that's the case but i think that to me at least is very different than everything else so right now to me it's like there's bitcoin and then there's everything else do you think that that's the case or do you see it differently it's a great it's a great question um I think that people definitely hold Bitcoin apart from the rest of the market in, in, in many cases. And um, it's the oldest by far. It, it represents something around 50% of the market cap uh, uh, presently. And, and those two attributes uh, are me very meaningful. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so, so, you know, I think, and, and, and accessing it is the most widespread, right? CME, mm -hmm. SIBO have futures for Bitcoin. Uh, there's some products that only offer Bitcoin trading and, and, and selling and has the most liquid markets, the best OTC uh, uh, venues. Um, so, so, I think, so I think in those ways, it's obviously distinct. In terms of the, the narrative around digital gold or, or cryptocurrency, um, I'm, I'm not sure. There, there, are, there are other assets that are seeking to do what Bitcoin does. Um, as you know, there's, there's over $10 billion of, of money that have gone into ICOs and, and funding um, uh, prod, new, new public blockchains and projects, some of which are doing completely different things and some of which are doing uh, um, uh, overlapping things. Uh, and uh, I, think, I, I think that, that it remains to be seen um, both um, if, if, uh, if other blockchains can, can uh, serve a piece of what Bitcoin is doing, if, if they can, uh, for one reason or another, uh, move into to, to, to serving the needs that Bitcoin serves today. Um, and then, of course, also if, if, if what Bitcoin is doing today isn't the most important thing, if some other uh, use of, of blockchains is more important, if, you, if, if private payments or micropayments or remittance or uh, allocating compute or allocating file storage or creating a marketplace for genomes or creating a marketplace for virtual goods, you know, all of those things are experiments that are taking place today. Sure. The way, the way I, th I think of the, the status of, of crypto is that um, similar to how TCP/IP and the introduction of the internet led to an exploration of all the different ways that, that we could use that that protocol and, and that new technology and infrastructure, uh, people experimented with corporate corporate wikis, corporate intranets, uh, which are private networks, obviously much like private blockchains today. And then people also experimented with these unfamiliar new things like Wikipedia and and, and putting news articles online and and buying buying things online through something like Amazon, which at the time, if you remember, people were uncomfortable putting their credit cards on Amazon. Um, and certainly now we today we also have Netflix and and uh, YouTube and 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 all these other um, great services that would be hard to imagine. So, anyways, I I think you know people it was an enabling new technology which was 
TCP IP and the internet. And then people explored all the different ways that it can be put to work. I think that's happening now in crypto. Bitcoin is just uh, demonstrated and enabling new technology, which is uh, a blockchain with a consensus protocol. Um, and people are exploring, can we use it in private contexts within companies? Uh, can we use it in public contexts to, to, to transfer money, uh, to transfer ownership of items, to transfer ownership of property, to transfer uh, et cetera. And, and so I think we're in the, the early moment of things sort of fanning out now and people exploring all of those, uh, all of those different opportunities. So, you know, and that, that kind of brings me to, um, you know, what you guys are doing. So talk a little bit about what, um, you know, what led to the, you know, talk about Bitwise specifically and kind of uh, the reasoning uh, for your, your specific approach. Yeah, great. So uh, the firm is called Bitwise Asset Management. We're based up in San Francisco. We're about 16 people. Half of us have backgrounds in software, half of us have backgrounds in traditional index fund investment management. We're the leaders in cryptocurrency index funds and indexes. Um, for most people, it's helpful to think about what we're trying to do for, for clients as the way they would think about Vanguard or S&P uh, or BlackRock. Um, uh, we, we're focused on clients, which is a, a little bit different than, than, a, than a hedge fund, which, who also manages money in portfolios. But we're, we're focused on uh, meeting with clients, providing research, and then structuring uh, funds. Uh, uh, to date, they've all been index funds that help them get exposure to the space. So uh, our flagship fund, the Bitwise 10, is a little bit like an S&P 500 for crypto. It gives investors exposure to the largest 10 uh, public blockchains and crypto assets uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and then holds them in a, in a market-weighted fashion and, and rebalances it. And so the, 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 what that accomplishes for investors is it, is it allows them, if they have a belief that something valuable will come out of the space, there might be a valuable crypto asset one day. Uh, some of these public blockchains might be important and valuable. Um, it allows them to hold whatever emerges as a winner uh, without having to guess which thing that'll be. Is it Bitcoin or one of Bitcoin's competitors? Is it Ethereum or one of Ethereum's competitors? Is it something completely new we haven't heard of? Uh, uh, the index will hold whatever emerges as most valuable. And if that's uh, something new or something old, it doesn't matter. And, and if it's one thing or if it's five things, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, and, and so it simplifies getting exposure to the space. And then and then we have other, other products as well. That index in particular covers, yeah. what, about 80, 85% of the market capitalization? That's right. Yeah. And that, that's actually very similar. I think sometimes it surprises investors, but it's very similar to the S&P 500. So there are about 4,000 publicly traded companies in the U.S. and the S&P 500 are the 500 largest, and they make up about 80% of, of the market. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the things I think it's um, uh, the way I think about that approach, um, which I think might be of interest to people who are you know, kind of understanding that there's something going on, but really just, you know, they're not tech savvy. They're not really interested in tr learning how to use a, a wallet, you know, a hardware wallet and all these things. And it, it sounds like a big task is to say, okay, if you believe that this space, there's this new technology happening um, and it's real, this is a really good way to ride the entire market cap, right? I mean, this is really buying the market in the same way that the S and P five hundred is. That's right. And um, and so so what? Who are your typical investors? Yeah. yeah. So 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 I, I you know I, I think you I think you said it exactly right. And uh, what I would add to that is, is it's not just people who aren't tech savvy. It's 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 also we serve and work with a lot of the most sophisticated investors. Um, and they, you know, this is conventionally how they get access to spaces. Uh, they, they work with with 
with index strategies, they work with active uh, hedge fund managers, but they're not picking specific names themselves. They're not integrating with the, 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 the liquidity providers and the trading desks themselves. Uh, and so it makes sense that that's how they would want to approach the crypto space as well. Um, in terms of the, the clients we work with, um, uh, our existing products are uh, only available to accredited investors and up. And so uh, our cross-section of clients looks similar to a cross-section of the space today. There's a few institutional funds, uh, multifamily offices and, and investment advisors. Uh, then there's, there's many investment advisors who are on a platform that hasn't yet approved um, any crypto products. And so they will just introduce their clients to us. Sometimes they'll even uh, uh, set up a call with us to help their client learn about the space, or they'll just uh, send, send them uh, uh, to, our, uh, to our website. And, th and then there's a lot of high net worth individuals, uh, wealthy families uh, involved. Um, we, again, uh, uh, because of the, the nature of private funds, only serve uh, a subset of the, of the wider public. Um, uh, we, 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 can't, we can't serve investors who are non-accredited. Right. Um, Certainly on, on Wealth Formula, we're used to that, but we'll be playing this uh, on Consensus Network as well. Just to reiterate the, the definition generally for accredited, accredited yeah. investors is $200,000 per year for two years as an individual, $300,000 if filing jointly or a million dollars of, of um, assets uh, outside of your personal residence. Uh, anything else to add to that definition? That's right. Yeah. So it's either either those income thresholds or that that net worth uh, right. threshold. You can't least, use your San Francisco house that went up by two million dollars, though. Yeah, it has to be outside <laughs> of your, your your primary residence, and and then we right. we, we we have a, a, a software flow that helps yeah. uh, verify that, which is part of uh, how we do compliance. Right, and that's the, that for those of you who are used to us talking about this is Reg D five hundred six C, and what one of the things too that I think is important. Uh, to point out here, Hunter, is that your your minimums are actually very. I mean, listen, you you've got major investors who are dumping you know millions of dollars on this, but your minimums are really very reasonable. Can you talk a little bit about because it makes it a lot more accessible for country yeah, club yeah, investors so for like our first us? Fund, and, and again, we'll have multiple funds in the same way that you would expect Vanguard to have multiple different ways to get exposure to things. Uh, we have some new ones coming, but uh, uh, our first and flagship fund that I think makes sense for the for a huge majority of investors is the Bitwise 10, the large cap fund. It is two share classes. So it has an institutional class, which is a million dollar minimum, but then it also has an investor class uh, for accredited investors who, who aren't institutions. And, and the minimum there is, is 25,000. Uh, an important thing to note is that it's, it's uh, as an index uh, product, it's, it's, uh, it has weekly liquidity. So you're not locked up in the same way that you should expect to be in a venture fund or a, or a hedge fund. Um, and then we have an investor portal where investors can see the holdings on a daily basis. They can see the price on a daily basis. We do an audit. We prepare taxes. Um, and uh, to, to an earlier point, uh, as an organization, we're focused on clients. So we want to have the most. In, we want to serve the most investors possible. Uh, we do monthly investor letters and investor calls. We, you know, we 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 publish research. I um, mean, our our orientation is very much in that direction. Versus, I think some people have you know a mental model of a. Of a, of a hedge fund manager or, or portfolio manager who uh, understands something about how the market works that other people don't understand. And that person's gonna go generate alpha and, and, and is gonna you know, interact with the LPs as little as possible. If they could, they would have as few LPs as possible. Uh, that, is, that is the hedge fund model. That's just not, uh, not what, we're, what we're doing. Again, our, our model is more similar to something like Vanguard. So it makes it really simple. You want exposure, you wanna get in, minimums aren't significant. 
um, and and you can basically um, what's can what? It, yeah, we have we have a, we have a, a website, and some investors in, can can fill out the paperwork in less than five minutes. We built an, an online flow that 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 then pre-populates a, a document and sends you a DocuSign, and and we see some people fill that out in in a, in a matter of minutes. And so we we try to make it as simple as possible, uh, which is obviously as we talked about earlier, one of the big barriers to accessing the space today is is the difficulty of some of the workflows. Yeah, and I think it's it's something that a lot of people may want to check out. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are interested but are intimidated by the tech, especially in in our uh, some of the investors that we have in our in our investor club. Um, yeah, so this I, is a great way to do that, and you can invest in this the same way you're investing in any of our other Reg D five hundred six C type things. So, shouldn't be that difficult. There's also a way on our on our website to schedule a call uh, with someone from our from our investor relations team. We have we have resources available. My my perspective on this is is that uh, the space has been made too complicated for most people. Yep. Um, many people have high yield corporate debt in their portfolios, but it's it would be unreasonable to expect that they would become experts in a Microsoft you know triple B issuance, whether they'd be reading Microsoft's 10K to understand the roadmap for for you know for that debt. And for the company that that issued the debt, but that's sort of the expectation in crypto today. Not only that you'll you know download a different set of apps and uh, and tools, but also that you're gonna you're gonna become a jet propulsion engineer, mm-hmm. um, or you know you're gonna, you're gonna become an, an expert. And, and uh, uh, our view is that uh, for you know for the vast majority of people, it makes sense to consider an allocation of crypto, but it does not make sense for them to be a jet propulsion engineer just to invest in Boeing. And so right, it's the responsibility right. of firms like us and 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 people like you and and, and others. To figure out how can we uh, how can we accurately uh, acknowledging both the merits and the risks uh, convey uh, convey in an understandable way uh, what what people need to understand about the space and, and that's you know that's the mission that we're all on. So I, I want to just kind of talk a little bit before we go about the the whole ETF space because you know one of the uh, you know these uh, one of the reasons why this is so useful right now what you're doing well there's a couple of reasons yeah. one is uh, you know you you there really is no ETF there's no way you can right now go and just go um, you know buy a, a, a sort of a um, you know a bunch of a little bag Correct. of cryptocurrencies on fidelity you can't do that and what what's what what is the implications where are we with the regulation I know that you also, you guys also in Bitwise threw your hats in on, on uh, uh, yeah. you know, an ETF as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I can talk about this. We, we, have a, we have a number of individuals at the firm who have who have incredible expertise in ETFs. Uh, so maybe I'll mention that. I can, I can talk about yeah. where we're at and where we see that going generally. Uh, I, so our firm, 16 people, our, our head of ETFs is an individual. His name is John Highland. Um, he's incredible experience in ETFs. He launched the first oil ETF in U.S. history. It's the largest today. It's called U.S. Commodity, uh, sorry, uh, uh, USO, U.S. Oil. Um, uh, he launched the first and largest natural gas ETF, the first and largest commodity, uh, sorry, uh, a copper ETF, the, the the second ever commodity index ETF. You you can imagine in 2006 when they launched uh, the oil ETF, what were some of those concerns? Um, that OPEC was manipulating the price of oil. Uh, that custodying barrels of, of flammable liquid would be a would be a challenging uh, custody problem, mm-hmm. um, and I think from his perspective, a lot of those same issues uh, are now the issues that we that we're having to, to grapple with, and, and that the regulators having to grapple with for for crypto, and, and, we, and we have conversations with them about that. Um, uh, we we also have an individual, Matt Haugen, who's our head of research. Uh, he was the CEO of ETF.com, which is the largest. Uh, 
data and analytics provider for ETFs, co-authored the, the ETF section of uh, Monograph for the CFA exam, ran the largest ETF conference in the country. And so uh, uh, ET, you know, the ETFs are an important part of our, of our, our team's uh, DNA. And so um, uh, to get to the second part of what I was going to say, uh, we, uh, as you mentioned, uh, filed the first ETF filing for um, the, the, the first ever commodity index fund ETF. So uh, firms like the Winklevoss is, um, have applied for Bitcoin only ETFs since 2013. Um, and so, you know, it's been, been basically five years now uh, of slogging away at that. And most recently, um, their application was rejected uh, in, in uh, I believe, the beginning of August. The, the commission wrote a, a 90 page letter uh, outlining some of their concerns. And, um, and so I think that there's, there's work that needs to be done there. And, and that sort of leads me to the third thing I was gonna say, which is our outlook. Uh, we think that a, that a, a public uh, registered product will happen. Um, the, the, the SEC is the relevant regulator is being extremely thoughtful about it. Um, they're having lots of conversations with firms like us about it. Um, uh, but they're rightfully um, concerned to make sure that if the public uh, is given access to a vehicle like this, that no harm will come from it. Um, and there's no upside, you know, to, for, for, for them to, 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 to put something out the door that had uh, a little bit of risk and then, you know, and then blows up and it harms individuals. It, 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 it you know, it, it impacts people's savings and ability to retire. And so um, they're going to proceed very cautiously there. And, and I think that, that that makes sense. And that's the role that they play for, for capital markets. Um, so I, I think something will happen, uh, uh, um, but uh, I wouldn't expect it to, to, to just happen suddenly because the crypto space is, is writing more articles about it and, and, um, uh, and, and paying closer attention to it. Uh, you know, the, the, the real issues are the ones that they've outlined, which are market manipulation, uh, a trade volume, I think, has, has become less of an issue. Custody is, is, is a real issue. And, uh, and so those are, the, those are the things to keep an eye on uh, for, for that uh, getting improved. One last thing I'll just point out is all of those things. And I, I personally, um, uh, you know, I've been thinking that this, um, from what I'm hearing, you know, the Chicago Board of Options Exchange Bitcoin fund with VanEck solid, it sounds like something that has a decent chance perhaps in 2019. Um, but that said, uh, that probably would come with a potential influx of money. So it's probably also an argument to get in before that. And here's, yeah, a, I, mean, so, so, so I think like so yeah. many, like so many things, everyone has to decide where they are on the risk reward spectrum, but Uber, you know, at one point Uber was valued at $4 million and there were a right. lot of reasons to believe that that would never work out. Uh, and there's a lot of uncertainty and, and they, they hadn't been, you know, rolled out in multiple cities and, uh, and so there was a ton of risk and a, and a ton of upside. And, and there were investors who, uh, you know, at, at, at $100 million didn't think that the risk reward made sense. And investors who had $10 billion didn't think that the risk reward made sense. And now, you know, now they raised money at, at $50 billion. And there's some people who don't think it makes sense. And so everyone is going to wind up, you know, somewhere on that curve. Um, but I, I, I think the fact that there are still these meaningful risks and there is still this meaningful infrastructure that's not in place is part of what creates the opportunity exactly. for investors now who are willing to bear that risk in exchange for the opportunity for the, for the return. There sure is a lot of smart money in there getting in line, folks. So check it out. Again, Hunter, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the website? Yeah, uh, the firm is called Bitwise Asset Management. Bitwiseinvestments.com is, uh, is the website. Definitely check that out. Hunter, once again, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed chatting. We'll be right back. 
Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, this is Buck Chopper, the Wealth Formula Podcast. I want to point out uh, here, uh, before, you know, after this interview, I think, you know, probably I'm guessing that more than uh, more than a couple of people are going to jump up and, and call Bitwise and all this. I, I have no financial uh, gain from that. Um, I want to point out that I am also not giving you investment advice because, you know, I mean, it is still speculative. The idea of, you know, Bitcoin, for example, people say, well, Bitcoin's going to go to zero. Jim Rickard thinks Bitcoin's going to zero. I actually disagree with him. I think the likelihood of that is 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 null at this point, especially in the next five years. I think it's zero of that happening. In fact, with all of Wall Street's adoptions and all this infrastructure happening in this area, there is just no way that this is going away in the next five to 10 years, uh, in my opinion. But it is uh, uh, my opinion, and I'm not giving you advice. Um, and, and, and as a reminder, I am so bullish in this space that I've started my own blockchain, uh, or I prefer to call it distributed ledger technology because I like Hashgraph. Um, I, I started my own podcast called Consensus Network. So if you liked what you heard today, make sure to go to Consensus Network I personally am very bullish, bullish, bullish in this uh, digital digital asset class. And um, I also know that a number of you have expressed interest in this space, but, you know, you feel intimidated by the technical aspects. And I don't blame you. That's why I wanted to present this group to you. And it's uh, it's a way for you to get involved, even, the, even, even, by the way, if you want to use IRA money. There's no reason why you can't, um, you know, just throw a few bucks in there with that. Now... Um, with that said, for those of you who want to dive deeper into the stuff, again, let me remind you, there's Consensus Network, the podcast, but also some basic tutorials on consensusnetwork.io, which is the website for that podcast. Why.io? Well, it's just what all the cool kids are doing, right? I mean, if you're a blockchain world person, you're IO. Anyway, that's the honest truth. I don't know why else I chose that, but it seemed like all the cryptocurrency um, and, and blockchain projects all had a .io, which is like Indian Ocean. And so I chose that. So consensusnetwork.io. Um, and if you like that, sure, make sure you subscribe to it, leave me a review. And also, if you have not done so, you've got wealthformula.com where you can also still go and give us a five-star review there. Please, for heaven's sake, can you please give us a five-star review? That's what helps keep these fantastic shows coming. Uh, so make sure you do that. And uh, well, that's all I have to say this week. This is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. 
I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.